0: future, my life is filled with gloom. So day after day, i stay locked up in my room. I know to you, it might sound strange, but I wish it would rain.
1: This is Amal Douglas and we're kicking off the show today with uh, The Temptations, wishing it would rain. Their dreams have come true today here in Norwich. Yep, it's a rainy day. I'm hearing we've uh, seen the last of the sunshine for quite some time, who knows. So the unmistakable voice of David Ruffin up front in this one uh, with The Temptations and we've got a packed show today, loads and loads of questions, all kind of questions and um. I know there was a little bit of a complaint last time I didn't go through enough questions So today we're going to a little bit less music And really hit those questions Which come from all all kinds of things um, And I've been promising to deal with them for a while So I'm going to hit them hard But let's start, let's get the mood right Let's uh, continue with um, this musical start to the show
2: Listen, I
0: gotta cry Cause crying The pain oh yeah people this hurt I feel inside words could never explain I just wish it would rain Staying face pressed against the window pain. My eyes search disguise. desperately for rain, Calls rained up behind my teardrop, and no one will ever know that I'm crying.
2: Like a be a rumble, young man.
1: kicking into Toots and the Maytels there. Um, yeah, we, we, we touched on with um, Toots Hibbert uh, last week. We played a couple of his songs. We'll continue that in a moment. He died uh, last week famously from Toots and the Maytels. fifty-four forty-six. no, that one, yeah, that Toots. Yeah, who really is a, an icon of Jamaican music who seems to have been around for, you know, a long, long time. So, um, yeah, lots of tributes going on for him today. And a lot of people um. Did have, um, well, not so much questions, but they were quite surprised by the show last week with that interview with Dennis Johnson, uh, the former uh, coach at uh, my old university UTech in Kingston, Jamaica, was then cast. Um, who was the predecessor, if you like, to Stephen Francis, the man who trains, um, you know, Asafa Powell and Shelley Ann Fraser and Elaine Thompson and Bridget Foster and. think still Melanie Walker and so many people who've gone through um and um yeah so a lot of people were surprised to hear about him being a former world record holder for the 100 yards etc so um yeah it was really good interview and I think a lot of people were surprised where I, I um when I spoke about it being how I do my coaching Olympic sprint business coaching using those same techniques of um sprint coaching for business so um I think people understand that concept a little bit more from that, so that was great. So today we've had on, on on previous shows we've had um we've had a lot of questions, especially to do with business, who I've dealt with separately. And there have been so many other questions I've not dealt with, and I did say today I would actually um give some of those questions a chance. I would really try and. You know, um, just answer some of those questions as they as they, as they um, if they come. I've um, I saw one or two of the questions. I, I but most of the questions I've, I've not seen, so I'm just going to deal with them <laughs> as they come. So um. Yeah, you know. Uh, hopefully, I, I don't see anything that's uh, is too wrong. I'm just going to I'm just going to go straight in. Um. Okay. The first one. The first one is a business question. Okay. Uh, I had asked, I had asked that not too many of the, the, the standard business questions that I, um, um, not to belittle your questions, but sometimes there are, you know, there are questions we know are going to come up quite often. Um, and fact, this is a pretty, pretty much one of them. How do you decide on which business idea to start with if you have three that all seem viable? They all seem viable three that all seem viable um, yeah every 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 business idea seems viable to you at the beginning and you know, when you're thinking about it, it all seems great yep just do this do this and people will spend um, i think you really have to do a proper uh, a, a proper you know viability study and um, validate your business i think you really have to um i've spoken about this before again i do talk about it in the in the in the business startup program hit the ground running yeah you've got you've got you've got to see if you know people are buying that type of product if, they, if the type of customer you um you think will buy actually exists and if you know how to reach them and you know you've got to think about what budget people will spend it on and what's the competition you know not that it's the exact same product but you know are they buying it out of their weekly shopping money are they buying it out of their holiday money etc etc so i think all that work has to be done and um one of those ideas will come to the fore definitely and it doesn't mean you won't do the other ones, but it means you launch one successfully. And maybe if you if you do that properly, very quickly you can perhaps launch the second one or add it on. So it's not ruling out one or the other, but you do have to prioritise and start with one and get your focus straight. And you do have to really do that feasibility study and be prepared to, to, to uh, accept that it's not as viable as you think at this time. So, yeah, that's one. Okay. Okay. Well. Okay. These first two are business. Apologise. These first two businesses. These first two um questions are about business. The second one. How common is it for a business to sabotage another local business? How common is it for a, a lo- someone to sabotage another business, local business? Well, you know, envy is such a big thing, isn't it? Envy is everywhere. So people uh envious of each other but more importantly people are anxious people are really frightened about you know as we call it anxious anxious about their provision about what's coming to them and that anxiety leads people to do all kinds of things you know it leads people to stress um it leads to jealousy and worry and doing dreadful things i don't think it's that common actually i think that um generally speaking people in business Learn quite quickly, especially the smaller, smaller outlets and and individual business people. That cooperation is good, and that having people in, you know, having a hub whether it's a high street or a marketplace, people realize that there's a there's a, a protection <clears throat> from each other and a buzz around. You know, having everybody together creates a buzz that attracts people to the area. So I think, generally speaking, there are it's not a common thing. And um, and also, it I, don't, I think it generally doesn't really work. You know what's um, well I know it doesn't work. What's coming to you is coming to you. So um, I don't think it's that common. So if that's your worry, because um, that was the question, how common is it? I don't think it's that common at all. Right. Even if people are a bit anxious, they don't tend to do anything about it, particularly sabotage. If anything. Um, both people tend to raise their game or people feel a bit safer because you've created a place where, um, you know, people know that, well, if I don't get it from this person, I'll get it from another. So it becomes a, um, almost like a sort of guild. You know, people know they can definitely get that product in that area. So it becomes famous for that. So <laughs> everybody benefits. <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm laughing at this question um it's not really a, it's not a funny question this one it's what's the highest sin threshold where you can still get where you can still get to heaven what's the highest sin threshold where you can still get to heaven how do you interpret it interpret that one that sounds like someone saying do you know what you know um I want to have uh, as much um, <laughs> lewdness and depravity as I can, but, you know, just enough to not stop me going to heaven. <laughs> wow. Um, listen, I, <laughs> yeah, I know maybe somebody else has some some ideas on that one. But I think, you know, um, your actions are judged by your intentions. You know, your, uh, your actions are by your intentions, so... I think sometimes people do things that could be considered a wrong action but their intention into it is absolutely you know pure and yeah and I think that's really the, the 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 key to it if your intention is to please your lord please your creator that's one thing if your thing is to your intention is to hoodwink your creator that's another thing so I think it's 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 all about your intention. Do what you can. I don't know what the th- threshold is. I just hope that my own you know scale is is heavy with good actions, you know, and that and that I'm completely enveloped in Allah's forgiveness on that day. That's that's my own thing. So um, yeah, I think that's um, I would say don't think you can pull the wool over. The eyes of your creator. I don't think that's possible. So you might want to rethink that. That's um. Yeah, that that's that that kind of threw me that one a little bit. Okay, one a little, a little bit more um, a little bit more. Close at home, I should say. Can I pay? Can I pay myself with a portion of my grant received for a charity or non-profit? Well, it's a that's a, that's a kind of easier one. That's, that's a um, that's a yes and no. When you get a grant for any any kind of organisation, any charity, what you have to do is spend the money on what you applied for and what you put in your budget. Can you put in your budget to pay yourself? Yes, you know, or pay yeah yourself, or pay for particular jobs. And in most circumstances, you can do those jobs. Um, Sometimes you have to put it out to tender or how you award, you know, how you decide who's going to do those jobs. But you can you can put pay for services and jobs in there. Could be a manager as well. Um, Often people are clear about who's going to be, which jobs they've already sort of given out. But yes, you can. You can you can definitely do that. But again, actually, similar to the last question, you know, don't 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 try and be too tricky, you know apply for spend the money on what you apply to say you're you're going to do it for don't think wow i'm going to get this hundred thousand pounds or dollars or whatever it is or or less or more whatever i think but when i get it i'm going to do this other thing you know i'm I'm, yeah don't don't think because that actually is fraud and um and even if it's a good deed even if you think well this is just as good if you applied for um money to help certain people in a certain way then you should do that and if you if you feel you have to do something different then it's always better you talk to your funder beforehand and say listen circumstances have changed and i think we we want to do this with the money now and they'll either say no or they'll um in most cases they'll negotiate with you or they'll say that's okay you know so um again is you know sometimes we 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 try to be much too clever and we don't we don't really need to be to be that clever and you know, I've seen so many. Um, obviously, people know I do a lot of fundraising training and actual direct fundraising consultancy. So, a lot of people have run into trouble just because of that. They, they, they. Um, they're they're not careful about how they spend their money. I don't mean that people are, are fraudulent. They just think that well, we got it now. We're doing good. We can do. We're freer to do what we want with it. But it's not the case. So. I often advise people not to take certain grants, not to apply for certain grants or certain funds because of the restrictions that apply. In terms of the administration, if you can't manage the administration, don't do it. And in terms of, you know, how you can spend it, sometimes it's not a good fit. Don't do it, you run into trouble. Which is hard to do sometimes because it looks like, you know, sometimes people think, well, that looks like easy money to get. And we need money, but, you know, it's... um. It, it yeah it's not in the end it doesn't work out <clears throat> that well for for most people so i would say be careful oh right, i'm going to take one more question now at this point and then we'll go and when we'll and we'll continue um with uh, um with Toots and metals i think um we'll okay da-da-da. what are the pros and cons of crowdfunding <clears throat> Well I suppose it depends what you're using it for. I actually like um I like the concept of crowdfunding. I think people have to realise that one thing you can't really do it depends what the crowdfunding is for, it's for a charity or for a, a new business. And you have to treat crowdfunding like, like um like people paying in advance for your services. Because you can't sell, you know, shares or or ownership of your business through crowdfunding. And most crowdfunding for like business ideas you're offering them something you know you're offering people you know support mind you classically the restaurants restaurants are fantastic at crowdfunding. A person's got a successful restaurant they want to open a new one, they say we need whatever they need fifty thousand pounds or whatever it is for the the crowdfunding, and they say you know g- give us you know a pound and we'll give you an email, thank you." Spend five pounds and coming for a free coffee when we open. Spend twenty-five pounds and coming for a a meal when we open. Spend you know a thousand pounds and coming for one meal a week for a year, whatever it is, and or bring in a crowd of twenty-five for a big splash-up three-course meal or something like that. Um, So you're technically you're selling you're selling your services in it. In advance. So if you have already have a, a loyal customer base, they will most likely buy. You know, especially like things like restaurants, they know they're going to come and spend there once a month or whatever. It's still it's great for them. And I know this because we we were um, I was I I was going to open a restaurant up this side in Norwich at one point a uh, year or so, which didn't happen. And we set up a, a, um, a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter, which we didn't launch um, and I actually enjoyed actually it was actually a fun i i enjoyed doing it preparing it and was really looking forward to to launching it but then the the premises fell through so we we didn't bother with it but um and you see that a lot of new tech is it goes through crowdfunding and you know people you know people are like a new fancy sharp knife and people will sort of pay in advance and they'll be sent a knife you know and um If it's something like a a new movie, you know, people get invited to the premiere or have lunch with a star, all that kind of stuff. So it's um, it's what you can give. So don't promise too much. Make sure that you can afford what you promise, and um. And you know, be clear about when when these things are going to be um, delivered, because not everything is good. You know, sometimes these things are going to be delivered in a year's time. So be clear what it is. But often it's about pretty much selling the item in advance and you know maybe a signed copy of whatever it is something like that and people like to be first as well so um, yeah so crowdfunding the, the, it's good in that sense the the cons the bad of it is probably that m- many of the crowdfunding platforms if you don't get 100% of what you ask for you don't get anything the money gets clawed back because in a sense people are pledging and they but then that's sent back to the, the donors um, if you don't get everything, which I, I get because, you know, if you, if you, if you need 20,000 and you only get 7,000, then chances mm-hmm. are that money's going to be, you know, wasted. So I get that. So that's a pro and a con, if you like. And, um, yeah, so that's it. Otherwise I like and Of course, some of the money goes to the platform. The platform take their cut, um, for doing it. Um. Yeah, so um, I think it's something worth looking at. But you do have to, you know, you have to publicise it. Yes, yeah, some people will come across it because they go on these platforms and they will see things they like. But you do, it is your responsibility to publicise it. So if you haven't got a mechanism for getting it out there and, and, and pushing people to the, to the crowdfunding site and, um, you know, who already have some kind of goodwill with you, you might find it difficult. So that, that's worth thinking about. But other, otherwise, from that, I do like, I do like the concept of the crowdfunding, and I think some platforms are better than others. And some, for example, uh, are geared towards sort of charitable causes, and some are geared towards commercial causes. If you like, Yes, um, have to look at that. We'll. I talked a lot about that in. Um, one of my fundraising training courses we talk about diversifying the fundraising strategy and I, I go into detail a little bit more about some of the platforms there. Okay, well let's continue with a bit of music and we'll come back with um, I've just looked down the list with some some other very interesting questions track like you never heard it before, eh? <laughs> okay, toots and the Maytals. I was, hey Jude. Ah, uh, I remember that song actually. I when I was very young. For some reason, that song. I think some, <laughs> some, some girl broke my heart when I was about eleven or so. And for some reason, that song, um, yeah, stuck with me. I'm not sure why. Mm. Ah, old romantic me. <laughs> now there, there's a question more timely. Um. Do you think vaccines will be made compulsory? I bet we've all got a view on that one, haven't we? I bet we've all got a view on that one. Raise your hands if yes, raise your hands if no, let me see. The um I suppose I do. Actually, that re- reminds me um I'll talk about it later. We got a we got a show coming up next next week that probably deals with some of these issues, but um what I do think is that just as, um, you know, if you visit certain countries and then go into another country, you have to have had a you know, yellow fever vaccine or this, or you're going on cert- certain places, even on the HAD, you've got to have this vaccine. And I think that will begin to include these COVID-19 vaccines, no matter how well tested they are or not, how necessary they are or not, but I think they'll become necessary in that sense for many things i think perhaps certain for traveling i think it will be difficult probably not to have one sometimes i think for certain jobs it will prove difficult not to have it you know that's the way so i think the term would be you know all but compulsory i think that's my my thought that it will be um increasingly difficult and then of course there's the sort of peer pressure that already that is around vaccines already you know that you know if you don't have this vaccine your kid doesn't have your child doesn't have it oh what harm you know it's a danger to others that kind of stuff so I think that will increase and um and I'm saying this despite whatever medical evidence for or against the vaccine I don't think it's about that so yes I think they will be i would say become well i would say the term again all but compulsory so yeah you know in that sense so um yeah that's my my view on that one and yeah the, it's it's um and i know that i know that the vaccines themselves are controversial in a in a sense um and it, and it's pretty it's kind of rough because if you if you criticize one particular vaccine or set of vaccines, or you, or you criticize um, the way certain vaccines have been deployed and the harm that's come from them, you know and the known harm that's come from them by by um, by um, choice, people deliberately doing it, by by deliberately doing it, infecting people with things, or you know deliberately maybe sort of sterilizing people etc then I think um, I think you know you, you sometimes get accused of um, being against vaccines totally so it's it's a difficult one when perhaps I know some vaccines are probably are probably you know being useful so it's hard to it's hard because you know if you if you go one way you're accused of going all the way etc so it's it's difficult sometimes So that's my view, um, on whether vaccines will become compulsory. Yeah, and I know, and I I know, um, people, people differ. Um, here's a question. Why isn't an entrepreneur born and not made? I think, so someone's obviously used a phrase or something, said, you know, entrepreneurs are born, not made. Um, Someone said, "Why are they?" Do I agree with that? That's the first question. Um, and what is an entrepreneur? I actually, because I, actually, I use the term social and commercial and community entrepreneur quite often. Um, I don't necessarily say that they're born or not made. I do say that entrepreneurs want to affect change. They want to, they want to um, put in place some actions that will affect some change for the good. For people, whether it's themselves, you know, could be socially, commercially, you know, financially, um, they want to affect some good. So I do say that entrepreneurs can be commercial, you know, someone in business can be social, social, you know, like a social enterprise. Um, Are they born or not made? I don't. No, I think I think there are some people who who are more naturally inclined that way wanting to affect change and actively working to affect change in that way for probably more, more than themselves. And, um, and you know, some people, you know, a a small business, it's pretty much like a social, often a small business is very close to a social enterprise in terms of what they do and how they look after their community and people and, and, you know, you know, give away some of what they do or give people work, um, for the sake of giving people work, etc. So there's a there's a close knit thing between a small business owner and a social enterprise anyway, generally. And um, so, are they born and not made? I think. Yes, I said some people are very naturally inclined that way, but I think many people they they have no choice. They see that they have no choice because they see that something needs to be done. And uh, yeah, and I suppose some people um, are easier. It's it's easier to kind of ignore that and get on with their own personal interest but I think you know I think a lot of entrepreneurs um are made circumstances make them so it's not that they're necessarily born with that way with the entrepreneurial gene but I think that circumstances and maybe their intellect their conscience their their life experience their their um makes them entrepreneurial so I don't actually agree then necessarily that they're born are not made so um, I can't really answer that question because the question is um, why are they mm, and I don't think I really agree that way um, is it hard to write a business plan yes and no most most business plans I talk about business plans a lot um, but actually I talk about business models a lot I I, I think if you if you prepare a business model then business plans are easy and you know I, I every business coaching client I have I go through the whole business model whether they're existing um, and successful already or just starting out we go back to that that business model which is really going through making sure you know every aspect of your business whether you're new or existing know of how it works or how it should work and you know from clients and selling to the way the money works and the money flows to delivery to interaction with customers so many things and um I I am a fan well, I used to be much more of a fan with um, this this program called the Dragons Den and so when I say business model you know those questions that sometimes people get asked and then you know and they get told off for not knowing Understanding their business, I think if you go if you do the business model, if you work on your business model, you would be able to answer every single one of those questions easily. you'd be able to answer those questions you know you know every single answer to every question they throw at you. doesn't mean they 'd invest with you because they'll hear the answers and just not still not like them, but you'd be able to answer them so that's what the business model does and once you've done that, you can prepare any business plan you need to because business plans are usually for people who want to invest. They want you to, and it's usually often a work of fiction. You know, it's, um, I'm going to make 10 million this year. And then you work backwards and say, how are you going to make the 10 million? That's a business plan. A business model is more robust than that. It's really wanting to know if you know the inside out your your business. So a business plan, yes, it is easy to write if you work on the business model. Um, And I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Yeah, so I wouldn't, I don't put too much store by business plans. I I really think that um, understanding the business model is is key. So, um, yes, business plans are easy to write if you work on the business model first. Okay, this is another different question. What is halal meat? How is it different from other meat? Interesting. (laughs) Actually, interesting because I've just uh, ordered some. Halal beef burgers, organic and halal beef burgers actually, which were delivered yesterday. Um, halal, uh, Arabic term, really means lawful. So it's, you know, permissible, lawful. The opposite being unlawful, which would be haram, you know, which would be, you know, unlawful meat. And uh, halal meat in that sense is, is meat that, um, People usually concentrate on it being that it's slaughtered in a particular way. It's slaughtered um, similar to how the Jews and would slaughter their kosher meat, similar to how um, most Christians used to do, and just the way that people traditionally would slaughter um, animals. You'd you you'd you'd, you'd start, cut the throat and, and let the blood drain out, in a sense. So that's generally what people mean. And, and in in terms of halal, you'd mention the name of the creator when you when you do that. You know, bismillah. But there's more to it than that. There's um, there are certain things to do with making the animal comfortable, um, doing it quickly. You know, there's a, you know it's um, so that you must do it with a. a okay, I know some people might get squeamish with a very sharp blade, so it's quick and if you like painless, it's um, uh, the animals should be comfortable. Animals shouldn't, shouldn't see other animals being killed. Um, you know, they shouldn't be, you know, they're not hung up and hanging down from a chain or something like that. The um, So they're all things really to do with what is what is halal. And the term that normally goes along with it is what they call Toyib, which is, means um, pure, halal and toib. So it should be lawful is that kind of way of slaughtering the meat. And the pure is, um, well, <laughs> it's hard to go into details. Let's say that it's the way it's raised, you know, so the way you raise and treat the animal is also very important. So, so the term halal sometimes is overused, um, and I, I don't know, you know, you have, you have, your places that do um, halal slaughterhouses, there is debatable with some people as to, you know, how halal they are, you know, in some places, stun the meat first and some don't I know a lot of farmers just normal farmers who who really don't like the thing of stunning they don't think um they actually think stunning is cruel but we're 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 told that the stunning is you know humane and things um all these things um so I think people have a a whole misconcept around the treatment of animals um anyway and and what's good and what's not good and what is quick and what's um yes, we eat too much meat, I'm sure <laughs> you know, there's a lot of a lot of meat is slaughtered and wasted and and a lot of people mistreat animals and so on. So really halal covers all of that. It covers all it covers all of that. Um it should cover all of that. You when it gets down to people, things are certifying things, that's a whole other thing. Like anything. When you when you certify things as organic or fair trade or all then it, it creates a whole other problem of its own because they become an industry in their own right. And once things become an industry, um all kinds of dodgy practices um set in. So fair trade for example, the, the you know, it's about saying because we certify fair trade we'll give you a penny more per kilo. For your cocoa, when what would be fairer is helping them get into the marketplace, sometimes helping them sell their own product in your marketplace and getting the full value for it. That might be better, rather than putting in this middleman who gives them a penny extra, etc. Um, when it comes to organic, the the problems and some of the cost around getting it certified mean that some people are cut out of the chain of calling what they do organic. But it's fantastic, you know, it's a high quality and does all the things that organic should do, and and how animals are raised, how they're treated, but they they fall foul of the the certification because either they can't afford it, etc. So um, it cuts people out, um, and then halal certification is the the same thing that you when you have maybe only one or two authorities that will recognise the um, what is halal, then that becomes a problem in its own right and. What it does show also that you know, I you know, meat was never industrialized. This thing of production of meat has become industrialized, which is not right. You know, people have always, from the beginning of time, you know, you you um, you know, animals are slaughtered close to home, and or people slaughter whether it's chickens or sheep or goats um, at their own house. It's a thing that people knew how to do, and um yeah we've come far away from that so it brings up those it brings up those those things even the thing of um the provenance of you know the thing about having um how many miles animals travel and so on and so forth people sometimes can say you know this is locally reared sheep or pigs whatever they want to kill you know but the feed the feed has um traveled 10,000 miles what they've been fed with you know so you know so sometimes the officializing of things and the certifying of things and all these um doesn't do what it's supposed to do you know so we have to look at how all these things are done and um yeah including what is halal but that's a basic definition people may differ with me in terms of what halal is and um and you know if if i get any feedback before the show i'll i'll try and share that too but that's my my thoughts on what about what is halal halal meat specifically i know people see they see you know a lot of muslims going to these halal meat shops etc and some people are more fussy than others um wow <laughs> don't put me on the spot um how do you okay how do you value a consulting company wow you can see these are unsorted questions. I glimpsed some, but I really didn't. Yeah. So the way they've come, they just. I'm reading them as they've come. How do you value a consulting company? Obviously, I I do. I have Olympic Sprint Business Consulting. How do you value it? It's um. Well, mine I very. <laughs> I I prize very highly. A thing about a consulting company is that um, if it if it, if it is built around one person, it's hard to put a value on that. In terms, of if you want to sell the company, because it's um, it depends on you. So, you know, any company is worth its assets in terms of you know, any stock it owns and any equipment it owns and any buildings etc. and any cash in the bank. Yeah, that's an easy way of valuing something. But all businesses, when you buy a business, you're not really buying just those assets. So, you know, minus whatever debts they have, you're buying what we call in accounting terms goodwill. It's that um, that kind of putting a value on that loyal customer base that's already been built up. So that's what you pay for if you you know if you yeah if you if you buy, I don't know, Starbucks or something like that, you know, um that's what you're buying. That you know that customer base will still keep coming. So you don't you're not starting from scratch. It's why people buy franchises. So it's hard to put a value on things with consulting it's um if you're a big consulting firm, you're not relying on one on one consultant, then you do have that goodwill. If you're small uh, and you're really built around one person, like my own business is built really about, around me and then a few associates who I work with and pass certain clients to or bring them in to help me with certain clients, then, you know, there's not that much goodwill because what if I don't want to work with them? Am I going to work with these people? So, yeah, so it's a hard one. So... Um you know it's how long is a piece of string <laughs> really. So um yeah, should we play a bit more music? <laughs>
2: na, na,
3: na, na, Has anybody here seen my old friend Abraham? Can you tell me where he's gone? Oh, he freed a lot of people, but it seems a good day, yeah. I just looked around See?
4: RN, the Global Perspective Radio Network. Mondays and Thursdays 10 to late. Join Tarek for the jazz show.
1: Okay, we are back. It's a Wednesday afternoon on GprN global Perspective radio network and this is a special q a show uh, asking or well, answering uh, a lot of the questions that have come in, in the last few weeks that i've not got around to answering in um, previous q and a shows so um apologies for wait <laughs> you wait so long and um, just to remind you that you can um, you can hear some of the previous shows on gprn on demand if you go to the website globalperspectiveradio.com globalperspectiveradio.com a mouthful um you'll see the links there to some of the previous shows um on our gprn on demand and there's also um the podcast site directly it's also on itunes if you put gprn on on demand in your itunes or whatever you listen to your podcasts you should come up with those shows um uh, not every show is up there, but we're we're, we're getting there. So, um, yeah, a couple of questions there. Have, um, have put me on the spot, but you no, know, no worries. I'm getting there. Um, hmm. One we have here: How can I become an influencer on Triller? Tri- Cause this is Triller. I don't think it's that Triller. I think it's Triller. I think it is Triller. Triller. Well, that shows you how well I'll answer that question I actually don't know what Triller is Somebody enlighten me please And I'm assuming it's going to be some kind of social media platform The last one I've heard about is something called, is it TikTok? Which I've not used, I've heard about it I think that's the video um, How do you become an influencer? I suppose you have to build up a loyal following and um how do you do that be a good-looking young lady perhaps maybe that will help um be well known for you know uh producing records and songs hit songs be a film star i think all those things help <laughs> um otherwise i think you know i, I think people have to be Genuine. I think. I think most people who become influencers, as far as I can see, tend to be genuine. They tend to be genuine in what they what they talk about, what they blog about, or put videos about, or post about. I don't know whatever um, social media it is. I think they tend to be genuine, and I think they then tend to. Um, and I think they do it. I think they do their homework. I think that whatever they're interested in, they actually do the homework. If they're talking about films, they review films, they they look at the films and review them and talk about them. If it's about makeup they probably try them or have someone who tries them or something, you know, and um and um you know that feeds, you know, then people will actually send them things to try, etc So I think part of it is being genuine about what you're interested in, um and writing about it or posting about it or talking about it in an interesting ways that you actually Showing people something or letting them know something they didn't know quite often, even very something very simple, I think you probably have to be quite consistent um and yeah i think I think all those things um they count, so you know, do you need a degree of vanity, not always, I think. For some it can be because they, they, they post about themselves, etc., a lot and people seem to follow them. So there's something that people find interesting about that person because they, you know, they post their meals and what they're wearing and where they are and all these things they meet. So, um, it's, you know, so that, that's probably a side I can't really talk about. But I think the rest of it is about... So even those people are genuine. Even those people who it's all about themselves, they are genuine. They, they are very interested in themselves. And you know, and the way the, they're that interesting, other people find it interesting what they post about themselves. So I would still say, you know, being genuine and you know, um, and coming up with, you know, sharing things, sharing what you find out. I think that's how you become an influencer, generally. Um, so yeah, I would say that. So, um, and I, so I don't know what triller is but um so maybe it's something completely different so maybe that's quite inappropriate so yeah please someone if someone is better please enlighten me on that or if you are listening and you are an influencer on triller or in any other social media yeah get in touch so i can find out what you can do for me (laughs) okay um and of course, people are people are. We all have our people. We, you know, the people we influence. We all have people we influence. So we all are. Generally, we're influences in our in our own small spheres, if you like, as well. And some it's you know smaller than others. Some are bigger than others. Um, that's how it is. Why do people say Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are a pyramid? Oh gosh, the old cryptocurrency, eh? Um. Okay, why other people say listen, I'm not saying it. I, I don't. I personally don't call them pyramids per se. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of that is built around. You know, comes builds up around it. Um, pyramid schemes are again. I've, I've said this before. Usually, it's something where. you rely on you make money by other people joining the scheme generally that's it that that's that's really it um so w- when you when you see something that's more about people joining you make money from people joining rather than people buying a product or service if it's all about people joining then it's more inclined to a pyramid and the way a pyramid works generally is that um Okay, the pyramid because it would be almost like you know there's one born every minute. You know, you bring in order for you to make money, you have to bring another sucker in, if you like. You know, leave them holding the baby. That's that's really what a pyramid's about. And I, I see why why people would say that the the what have they got? What does it say? This says Bitcoin particularly, but um and other crypto um why people would say it's a a pyramid they would say because when you buy any kind of um cryptocurrency you're not buying a you know something physical or tangible you're not buying a piece of copper you're not buying a gold coin you're not buying a car you're not buying anything like that so um it's all about the value of it is based on what someone else is willing to pay for it It has no, you know, built-in, no intrinsic value of its own. It's not got any use in that sense. In fact, you know, it was originally supposed to be about buying things with, with, with the crypto coins, but that seems to have gone out the window now. everybody's buying it because it's going up in value. So at the moment, it seems that a lot of these cryptocurrencies are all about them going up in value and what other people are buying them for. So you buy it now because in two weeks' time, other people will, will be willing to buy it off you for um, a higher price in dollars and pounds, etc. So, and so that's why they call it a pyramid because you 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 at some point you know you you buy it and it seems to be going up in value. You sell it, you get out, and you get your 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 money, your paper, your banking money, and then you left you leave someone else with, uh, with holding the 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 digits, if you like um and then at some point you know things get hacked which you know some some cryptocurrencies have been hacked already um some have fallen by the wayside and so you you get out before that happens so that's why people see it as a a pyramid because you 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 you, you get in and someone else makes money from you you then get out uh, making money from someone else buying it or other people buying it and you leave them holding the can so that's why people consider it a pyramid because they don't see it having any particular real value in that sense um, you can see I'm a bit reluctant to answer only because I, I get you know I get constantly um, <laughs> sort of beaten around the head for, for um, people who want to um, be involved with cryptocurrency um, and because my advice is, if you if you want to make money from, you know, get in and get out and make money from it, but I I I don't see it as something particularly good or something to, you know, to long term to save your money in or to be a real investment. I just see it something that's uh, that will um, collapse at some point, probably sooner rather than later, and that some people will make a lot of money from it and some people will be left holding the can. So. Um, that's how I see it. And I don't, and if you want to be involved with that, just like people, if people make money from gambling, I don't see gambling as a good thing. You know, if you are going to gamble, you know, put your money on the winner. <laughs> if you have a way of ensuring that, even better. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's how I see things like that. So that's why I think people call it um, a pyramid some people would call it a pyramid. And yeah, there are certainly some pyramid schemes that are built up around the cryptocurrency. That's that's mm-hmm. a definite there. The particular schemes that people are attaching to the cryptocurrencies which are definitely, you know, they are a pyramid scheme outright. But um you know, and I don't know what the intention was with all the people who've got involved with crypto. Some of them maybe had good intentions and some of them um definitely do not. So Yeah, so that um, is that. And of course, there's so much secrecy around who's behind the cryptocurrencies that you can't really do any due diligence. Another question. Are you going to do another show on Marcus Garvey? I I enjoyed the first one. Thank you for that one. That was, yes. um, Yeah, that would be good. I think what I'd rather do next time is bring in someone who... Who knows a bit more than me I, I i i did some research and it was for um a tour i was doing of some colleges in 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 london i was i was um giving some lectures and marcus the story of marcus Garvey within the unia was fantastic um if you don't know about it and i think that episode is on the on on demand on gprn on demand so if you go to the website you'll see the episode and it was fascinating to learn about marcus garvey and um to share that with students and yeah people seem to like that episode it's um been downloaded a few times um and there's so much more to learn about with the whole marcus garvey story and and the people who've been influenced by him including myself of course and um over the years and yeah i would like to do i definitely would like to revisit um the story of Marcus Garvey and the black star line and the UNIA and the links with Liberia and the infiltration by the FBI whatever, and all these things. Um, Yes. I think there's a lot more, more to it and the legacy of that. Um, I think there's a lot more too. So yes, definitely. I would definitely like to revisit that um, sooner again rather than later. But I think I would like to bring in, um, there are some interesting people out there who have a, a Good take on the legacy of Marcus Garvey, and I'd like to bring one of them into the studio and um, uh, have a good chat with them. Yeah, definitely. So, yes, that is definitely in the pipeline. What's this question? I have a great show idea for your station. That's more of a statement. <laughs> um, listen, if you have, uh, if you have ideas. We're slowly, very slowly, I mean, um, onboarding the new presenters. It's been um a slower process because um particularly during these, these months of ice 'cause we you know, the the plan was to have people gather people and have, you know, hands on training sessions and get them used to the equipment and get them used to the formats and, you know, presentation skills and so on. So those were Plan and there's that's we had a setback with that, so that stopped a few things. So, um, so hopefully that will really you um, kick off again quite soon. So we have a few, quite a few, um, very interesting presenters waiting in the wings, and they're also waiting because they don't know their own schedules, what they're going to be doing soon. A lot of them, so so we'll probably have a mass onboarding soon. But if you have ideas, um. For shows, we have we have a, a lot of ideas for shows which we're already matching to presenters, and also we have presenters bringing their own ideas or their own expertise. So we're doing both ways. So if you if you want to be a presenter or you want to um, or you have a great show idea, yep, we're willing to hear from you. You can go to the website again, globalperspectiveradio.com com, and you can just use the contact form, or you can you can text. The number, the UK number, which is plus four four wherever you are, zero seven eight three seven nine zero seven one two eight. You can uh, text or WhatsApp that number, um, and we'll get back to you. Or you can um, email the studio studio at radio dot com. Studio at radio dot com. Whatever uh, interest you have, please get in touch and um um. We will get back to you definitely and have a we'll have a discussion and um yeah and see where you're at. So definitely um do that. We'll 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 take one more before we play a little bit more music. <laughs> Sorry I'm laughing when I read this one, I think some of you will too. It says All all my colleagues hate me, what can I do about it? well, I suppose you become a nicer person. I'm sure they hate you for a reason. I mean, <laughs> I could not be one of these um, therapists, could I? These counsellors. <laughs> I would traumatise my patients. Um, why do people hate you? Do you know when people hate you, often it can be um, some sort of jealousy or it can be that you do, you know, you truly, actually it could be. It could be that you're an awful person, you don't realise it, or that you do bad things um, to people and you don't realise it, you know, or, you know, it could be that... Um, it's just a misunderstanding. What can you do about it? I suppose. Uh, yeah, I suppose the only thing you can have is have meaningful discussions with people. You know, and you know, meaning meaningful discussions that will, with someone who you trust, maybe can point out what it is that you might be doing. You know, yeah, what it is that you might be doing that's, that's causing people to hate you. And then you know, if necessary, necessary modifying your behaviour. And do you know what? That's really it will, it will, in some way it will come down to that. Even if people hate you out of jealousy, you still have to take. You can't really do anything about that if people you know hate you from some sort of jealousy. So the only thing you really can do is modify your behaviour uh, to mitigate against that. So and you know. It can be that you're rubbing something in their faces without knowing it. It um, could be that you're doing it deliberately. could be that you're acting, you know, you know, quite inappropriately and terribly. It could be that you're oppressing people, you know, whatever it is. But you know what? One way or another, you have to take a hard look at yourselves. Not saying that it's all down to you, but the answer lies in, in looking at yourself. It really, there's probably not much benefit in looking at other people and blaming them. You know, there's not much much benefit in blaming them for being the way they are. So whichever way you look at it, it does come down to you. If you want to do something about it, it does come down to you analysing what's at the heart of it and modifying your own behaviour, if appropriate. It's just just how it is. Um, You know, no matter how much you're in the right or how much you're in the wrong. Yeah. and that's a harsh lesson that many of us have to face unfortunately so um, yeah, I hope that one answers your question I think um, on that one we shall listen to a bit more music I'm not even sure what I've got in the playlist at the moment let's see
5: people get ready as a train a- coming you don't need no baggage just get on board
1: Okay there was a question um it was another one kind of to do with the vaccines it was to do with um what do I think about the whole conspiracy surrounding covid-19 outbreak blah 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 okay um I'm not going to answer that question I'm going to skip that because um I spoke well, I mentioned the vaccines before and I spoke about uh, a few weeks ago I spoke about trying to find the middle ground of, um between you know outright outright um Believing everything the government and the media say, and, and then you know, the totally conspiracy theory, it's all a hoax. And I, uh, next week, inshallah, we'll play an interview I did with, um, uh, an old school friend of mine, um, Paul Lawrence, who is the man behind Just Tickets. If you know Just Tickets, J U S hyphen tickets, that sort of, um, that's giving Eventbrite a run for its money. He's the man behind that, and he's also, um, in something called the 100 Black Men of London, we'll talk about. He's a somebody I, I went to school with, um, and we 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 talk about that. He's um, London based, and we talk about that. He's more of a um, he, he's he's much more of a um, say straight laced than me. You know, he he's you know he's more for you know do the isolation there's no conspiracies. He's more down that road. None of us are totally one way or another. So I thought actually it'd be good to get someone who's, um, less willing to believe in conspiracy theories than myself and, and have a conversation with him and find out where the, the middle ground is on lots of things, not just, um, not just the stuff to do with COVID-19, but other stuff to do with lots of other, other things we, we talked about. So, um, that we'll, we'll play that for you next week. This interview with Paul Lawrence. Um, and it is interesting. So, um, yeah, so please uh, bookmark that. So I, I, I won't. I'll, I'll try and skip over anything to do with that now. To do with whether, you know, what conspiracy and what do I believe to do with the whole COVID nineteen and other stuff, and even Black Lives Matter, and a few other things. So, um, yeah, we won't we won't deal with that now. So, but that's an interesting uh, show coming up next week and next week's show. So, um, well, you can stay tuned from now and just you know twenty four seven. We are on air twenty four seven. You know, or come back this time next week. All right. So on with the other questions. So um put that to bed. Um, we 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 already dealt with the person who was being hated. Right. Um, oh, why do some people dislike Gary Vaynerchuk? Okay, that's that's um. I don't know if you all know who who he is. Um talking of influencers, I suppose. Is he an influencer? He's um I'm not even sure what he um what how he became you know, as well known as he is, but he you know, he's, he's one of these people like you could call him a motivational speaker, um and and coach, etc. as far as I know him, and um and I've heard him a few times and he definitely says some interesting things. You know, there are people who you know, there there are people who you know, quite honest. I think he became famous. I I, I, just, I remember hearing this now, just last week. Someone quoted was saying that he became famous because he he cured someone of their fear of snakes or something like that live on stage. I think he was challenged by some some therapist who said, you know, you make these claims that you can stop people. Um, get over their fears and i think he he did something live with some show stage or so on stage or something and the person they were able to bring a snake to that person at the end of whatever he, he did with them and i think that may have launched him on the circuit but he's he's known as a kind of quite motivational speaker and you know and um, business advice in that sense and he's and he's um it's quite dynamic and i think i think I, I get it now the question he swears a lot <laughs> He swears a lot. And I think that's why to be honest, I think I stopped listening to him. Now, I'm no um what do you call it? Wallflower. I mean I'm you know, it's um I, I, I do I try myself try not to use, you know, to swear and things like that and definitely it's um um yeah, I, I, I don't and I do I, I do personally think that when people use when they swear a lot and use that kind of what I call low language, whether it's in songs or in talking, I, I find it distasteful. I think most of the time it's um it it shows a lack of a lack of um grasping of the language, your own language, in this case the English language. Or people are doing it for the shock factor. I, I have a feeling that um and I mean some people they've just grown up like that. They've just grown up Using that kind of language, and it's hard for them not to use it. I think, um, with this man, Gary Vaynerchuk, maybe it's part of his calling card, it's part of his, um, his USP, you know. And it's like, you know, you know, it's, um, you know, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen, in a sense. So, I get it. So, it's like, you know, you know, and he's he's got his followers, you know, he doesn't need me to follow him to make him, he's not gonna benefit one jot more if I listen to him ardently or not. Or if I dislike what he says or not, or if I'm upset or anybody by swearing, he doesn't, you know, so it doesn't really matter. But I think, if anything, that's probably the reason that if people um, dislike him, it's probably for that reason. So, um, I just don't, it's not like I dislike him, I just don't, I just don't, um, like, listening. But I think, just like I'm listening to certain songs, and when I hear a lot of swearing and all things like that, I just say, why am I listening to this language? There's so many other, you know, songs with which are more uplifting and so on and have, you know, good lyrics in and don't use that language. Why do I need to listen to it? So it's like that. So um so that's how it is. But for other people they they probably love all that. But I think that answers the question, why do some people was the question why do some people not like him? Yeah, why do some people dislike him? I should think that's probably the reason. And also people dislike people sometimes who um who, you know, who um tell you the hard truth you know people might not like me because i said you know if you're being hated you need to you know look at yourself so sometimes it could be something like that but um yeah so just the preference with me i would um you know it's not like i i know him to dislike him but i wouldn't i i i I don't listen to him as much now at all actually because um because sometimes i just can't take it doesn't mean i wouldn't but you know sometimes i'm not really in the mood for listening to that 'cause I don't think it's necessary, but that's my preference, my choice. Um Well I suppose now if he um if he makes um, some kind of video having her go attacking me for attacking him, then at least it would give me lots of followers, you know? <laughs> um so please pass that on. Um what is the difference between a non profit and a social enterprise? Non profit or charitable organisation Um, has a charitable aim, they want to help particular people well, sometimes people, sometimes animals and stuff Um, they have a particular charitable cause they want to support and they raise money to do that usually from donations in some form or other fundraising techniques Um, a social enterprise is actually a business that runs as a business but also has social aims and so it can be that sometimes it is that the the money from the business side of it pays for the um, the social or charitable side of it so that's their way of fundraising or sometimes it is that what they do as a business is also given freely to some people you know like you may you may um you know you could you could give away parcels of food but you sell some as well you know things like that so so a social enterprise is also something that trades is, is is also a business as well as having a social aim whereas a, uh, a charity just has the social aim and raises money usually through some sort of a donation yeah and i i talked earlier about many businesses that um small business owners are actually in some way a social enterprise as well because of um the social work that they do you know that they although they've set up to to um being business they often because they are community-based they live amongst their community they work there they'll often give away not just their profits but they'll give away some of what they do or um as well um as much as any official social enterprise so that's the difference between those two i like this one what book are you reading at the moment now this is um some people will, will get this. If you, if you're a regular listener, you know that I, I often, and I think I did a show talking about five good questions to ask people. You know that every, I think it was five or six questions that everybody should be able to answer. Um, it included, um, you know, what are you reading? What are you writing? I think what are you growing or something, things like that. So, um I think this may come from that. So the question is, though. Oh, you know, put me on the spot. What am I reading um, at the moment? I am. I'm reading a book called "Indications from Signs" by Sheikh Abul Sufi, Sufi, um, my teacher, um, who. May um, uh, well, I'll argue him healing not so well at the moment, and it's a book. It's a small, very small book. It's almost like a a key to understanding the Quran and, I, and a lot of people um speak well of the book and i I've, I've had it I had it before and I, and i I don't think I really went through it properly so I, I decided actually you know some people really speak so highly of it that I thought it's time I really went through it um, in more detail and it's a very very small book, you know very very small, so it's almost like a little key to understanding what the quran is about in terms of its um that it consists of you know words and letters and silences and you know if you like chapters and what you call verses and so on and you know and stories and judgments and warnings you know so it's um it's really um a key to understanding that so that's one of the books i'm reading um at the moment i'm also reading Because I'm editing it, so it's a little bit of a preview, Uh, a book by my own sister, my sister Claudette, called, um, that's the Reverend Claudette Douglas, called Black, Blessed and British, a poetry book, which is going to be released, um, well, pretty soon. I'm actually doing some editing on it. It's a book of poetry um, reflecting on her life um, uh, between UK and Jamaica, you know, you know, as a young person here, as going to school in Jamaica, experiences running a theatre company, becoming a reverend. She's written um, uh, a lot of um, poems, and of course, a lot of them obviously reflect my life as well. So, um, so she's given me uh, to go and sort of edit it, and um, so I'm I'm going through that at the moment and enjoying it very much indeed. So, hopefully, that will be out soon, and you'll hear more about that um, on future shows when it's released. And you know, when you get copies, etc., etc., etc. So, um, yeah, that's my my reading at, at the moment, and um, yeah, and a few other bits and pieces. But yes, uh, good question. You, um, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> um, yeah, you got me there. That's a good, a good question. Kind of, you know, back at you. <laughs> okay, this is um, actually it's a it's a related question. It Says. Do you make a lot of money from your books? Do I make a lot of money from my books? Um, I have written a couple of books. Um, Most famously, let's say, what are they? There's the Seven Secrets of Successful Fundraising, which, um, in fact, I shall give you a link where you can get those books at the moment. Um, In fact, if you go to... In fact, let me tell you that afterwards we can get the books. Um, but seven secrets of successful fundraising, which is available on businesstutorsonline. dot com, you can get us an ebook there. businesstutorsonline. dot com, and that is an ebook. No, it's not. It's actually a printed book, sorry, and an ebook. But on that on that website I gave you, businesstutorsonline.com dot com, you can get it as an ebook. And and most of the books I'm going to talk about, you can get on that site as ebooks. Um, and of course, everything's available on Amazon and other sites. But um, okay, so seven secrets of successful fundraising is that's a constant seller because um, um, I'm always getting people f- for fundraising clients and fundraising consultancy, and it's um, straightforward. It's an easy read, and I, and I wrote it in a sense so that people wouldn't um, not that they wouldn't ask me questions. But people ask me questions. And I would, you know, I, I give people the time of day when people ask me questions about fundraising. I will stop, but actually, I put in a book to make it easier. I can say, look, you just get the book, you know, and um, and then once people have read the book, you know, that usually answers 80% of the questions they want to ask me. If they want to um, if they want more, then I can take them on as a client, or it's a very, you know, or, yeah, or it's um, they can do one of the courses online, which if some of them you can see at the same place and. Or it leads to something else. It leads to something else. Some other work from them. So most of the questions people ask are in that book. And um, and it was the book was based on the course. If you get me, yeah. The book was the book was based on a course that I do, Seven Secrets of Successful Fundraising, and the book is so the book's a constant seller. Um, the other book, another book zakat raising a fallen pillar He's just gone into a second edition and wrote that quite some time back and that's more of a kind of um to do with sort of islamic finance um if you call it that and the pillar of zakat and things to do with the gold dinar and silver dirham um, it was written um a while ago with sheikh ablahat buhli uh he did the first part did the second part and it was just just recently um being republished um or I updated anyway, and it's, and it's been republished by Dewan Press. Before that was Blackstone Press, and um, we did that. So that's... It may be will coming out very, very soon, the second edition. And another book, um, there is um, Why Business Is which is an e-book, and that tends to be brought by people who are signing up for one of my business courses or online courses. They tend to buy that uh, along with the course. And then there is my... Um, i to see my big work, my my um, my book, Call of the Twice Removed, which is really um, a collection of maybe some essays that I wrote to do with um. All kind of issues, the things you hear me talk about a lot: the, the issue of the, the markets and trading and gold and silver and uh, spirituality and politics, um, and there are different bits, and it's all come together in one, in in one, uh, book. Uh, which I think is a lovely book, Call of the Twice Removed. And that also, you know, also available on the same website, businessstudiosonline.com There's an ebook version available there. Um, and that was our own self-publishing, Blackstone Press as well, um, Blackstone Press and DNC Books. So the question is, do I make a lot of money from them? Not really. I wouldn't say I could not live off the money you make from books. It's always good, every now and again, you see um, some money come through. You know, you made you know a few sales here, a few sales there, and a little bit of money goes into your bank account, um, and that's a very a very nice feeling. I would like to definitely be able to you know live off the books. Um, well, I'm not sure that I would live off them, but I definitely would like to. You know, and um, so no, um, I don't make a lot of money. Off the books, but I get a lot of satisfaction from them, and um, you know, it helps with the reputation. You know, people um read the books, it helps with the reputation. So, there's there are other good things from publishing. I'm happy that most of them are self published, so that um, the majority of the money comes you know back here rather than with a um, another publisher. Um, yeah, so so that is it. So, I recommend that. And I, you know, I do have the the self-publishing course in fact if you go if you go same website business tutors com you'll see there's a there's a a course for one pound it's um it's uh, um, an online presentation I gave a month or two ago about the whole self-publishing and I've put it up there for a pound you know I, I just didn't want to make it free you know and um, you know every and it all helps you know it's it all helps you know every pound so it's also proven that if you you know every pound uh, it helps so um and it, it outlines the whole process of um, not so much writing the book it gives you some um, hints about writing your book and finishing your book but it mainly talks about the self-publishing process what it takes to become a self-published author what you need to do what you need to take care of and then also the the marketing side of it which is very very important so I will say that the sales of the book they do change according to how much you put into the marketing absolutely the more you are responsible for marketing your book marketing your own book whoever publishes it and you will um and you see the difference if you the more you put into the marketing the more you see the difference and i will say there are, there are guys i know who who um started out with me or after me in terms of writing their books and i've seen the energy and i and i, and I really applaud the energy they put into pushing their books um and, you know, and actually sometimes they're an inspiration to me to do it uh, as well. So um, and when you put the effort in, you do see the rewards. And, you know, we, we talked about being an influencer earlier and books help you become an influencer. And of course, if influencers write books, they'll probably make a lot of sales as well. So, um, you know, the one way of monetizing your influence, if you like. So, um, yeah, so I would say, no, nope, I don't make a lot of money, but I do get a lot of satisfaction and I do make some money and I'm, sh- and you know, and I could be making more. So a reminder to myself, um, mm, what new business idea would you recommend getting into? That always, um, again, that's, that's more of a regular question. Um, you have to analyze the times you're in. And I always say, you've got to look at, um, again this is where you have influence you know where do you have influence where people listen to you and will buy from you if you have you know what kind of people would buy from you almost anything you were selling you know so that would influence the kind of product or service you offer because you you know the audience you can sell to or it could be something that you have a uh a great knowledge of or an interest in or something you love very much so it, it's about that and also you have to look at the trends around you how are people spending their money now um you know where the growth areas uh you know those things you have to look at and you know it's 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 uh it's uh you know again one of those how long is a piece of string question you know it depends so much on you where you are who you know you know your um aptitude what you love who loves you who knows you all these things come into it so um what i will say is that like i said before you have to validate your business idea You, you you have to you have to validate it um And be clear, it's something you want to do. And then um, that's the way. But um, yeah, I can't really at this point um, give you and tell you, you know, what business you should be getting into in in that sense. You know, okay, there are things I I, strategically, there are businesses. Like I would say that um, and I've said to people uh, in recent times that the distribution of food is a very strategic business to be in the physical distribution of products and you know is is very um strategic to be in at this time we've seen what happened in places where we had the lockdown and so on and and how supply chains were affected so that's strategically there are there are things to be in you know perhaps things like um healthcare strategic you know because people are thinking more about certain health issues now and prevention you know um Maybe security people are thinking you know society's breaking down it's going to be a free for all soon, so strategically, there are businesses that you might want to think about uh going into because of the way you th- perceive things are moving, but again, you have to make sure you're reading the situation uh correctly I think we we um we we do have a couple of questions left, but I think it's a good time to hear a bit more music and and don't forget I said next week you've got this show with Paul Lawrence and we're talking about the whole thing of conspiracy theories versus you know, swallowing wholesale what the government and the, the media put to us, but yeah, let's get a bit more music and then we'll come back and we'll do the final round of questions after that
6: Singing my life with his words this
5: is why now. Clef mm-hmm. refuge. Uh-huh. can't uh-huh. well uh-huh. Little face uh-huh. sitting uh-huh. up here on uh-huh. the bass uh-huh. While I'm on this road, uh-huh. I got my girl uh-huh. L. Uh-huh. One time uh-huh. One time, uh-huh. one time uh-huh. Hey yo uh-huh. L, You know you got the lyrics, uh-huh.
6: the lyrics I heard he sang a good song I heard So I came to see him and listen for a while And there he was, this young boy Stranger to my eyes Strumming my pain with his fingers Can't
4: PRN, the, the Global Perspective Radio Network. The Imran selection 4 to 6 Fridays. Blend the music that I like and <laughs> <laughs>
7: Trailers I ain't got no cigarettes All but two hours Of pushin' broom bars. Eight by twelve-more-bit room I'm a man of means By no means
4: King of the wrong Third boxcar, midnight train Destination, banger Maine bang. Old worn-out suit Shoes, I don't pay no union dues. I smoke old stogies gears I have found short sure, but not too big around. I'm a man of means by no means King of the road.
7: Lock that ain't a locked window. no to down, I sing trailers for sale, no rent. Rooms to left fifty cents. No phone, no pool, no rats. I ain't got no second rats song, but two hours of pushing room. Ain't a twelve or bedroom, i King of the road. I
4: know every engineer On every train All of their children And all of their names Every hand out in every town And every lock that ain't locked When no one's around Ain't got no cigarettes All but two Hours of pushing Broom bowser Eight by twelve four bedroom I'm a man Of means by No means
7: King of the road Trailers For sale or rent Rooms To let fifty cents No phone Got no cigarettes, all but two hours of pushing through About eight, about twelve, four-bit room I'm a man of means, by no means King, King of the, the road,
1: the final countdown uh, of the show on a wednesday afternoon uh coming up after the show at 6 p.m we've got um the uk muslim radio on a wednesday afternoon featuring a talk by sheikh ali liraki on the origins of the school of akida plus uh music from the muslims around the world so that's coming up at 6 p.m straight after this show it's about 20 minutes or so So, um, yeah, that's a talk by Sheikh Ali Laraki on the origins of the school of Akida and the music of the Muslims. That's Wednesday, uh, UK Muslim Radio on a Wednesday afternoon. We are back. We are talking, um, going through um, a lot of questions I've I've been given. And I'm actually getting through them. We've only got a few questions left for today. So um, unlike last time, whereas um, people are sort of a bit annoyed with me for cutting the questions short, I am getting through them and um, they have been very varied, mixed and varied, and some of them have put me on the spot indeed. Um, but I like them, and um, yeah, and some of you have sound some of them, for some reason, you found some of my answers hilarious. Hmm, and there's me very, very serious. Um, we just asked about uh, books, so we asked about books, we asked about business ideas. Um, okay, okay, here's one. Actually, this is good. It's nice. Um, you know, people know I love to talk about sports, so this is a good one for me. Who is the greatest sportsman or sportswoman in the world today? Okay, well, it's going to be tough. I like sports questions, but that's a tough one because, um, mm, assuming you're talking about someone who's active today in sports, um, it it kind of brings up two questions. One is who's dominating this. I suppose if they, are um, if they don't have to dominate, but they, yeah, dominating in some way doesn't mean they're all conquering. But you know they've come back and you know so, you know you take someone like Federer, who is you know in tennis he's obviously a top don in that sense, but um, but he's not had it all his own way, has he? He's had a few, not just with Nadal but others. He's come back. I mean sometimes the way he cries when he loses, you think it was his last match, but um. You know, but then he's shown some resolve to come back, so um so, yeah, you'd have to rate him, I'm not saying him, and if you're talking tennis, then obviously the serena serena williams is um absolutely she's um you know you, you've you've gotta say she's um some already say she's the greatest woman tennis player ever, some say that if she wins one more grand slam, she will be um you know so because of the the, the the records it's um definitely harder to win those records now so um yeah so i'm um, just thinking of there allowed who else is obviously you've got someone like hamilton dominating the um the uh formula one racing um a little bit harder to to tell on that because of you know the the involvement of the the nature of the car and the teams etc and the way it's limited, not everybody can get into Formula One. Um, obviously, everybody can play football, but then, you know, in no matter how great you are, you need that breakthrough to get into a team, et cetera, et cetera, and be picked and noticed. And um, I do have a criteria, which um, when I talk about footballers, by the way, I'm very clear that for, for me, I say that um, for someone to be rated as a great footballer, Not not yeah. In one sense, when I'm talking about the very best, I say they have to have played club football in more than one country and for more than one team, and they have had to had a similarly you know great impact. They have to have either taken um a good team and made it great, or or an indifferent team and made it good, you know, at least or something like that. You know, so I think and for their national team the same thing. If they played for their national team, it's that they've made an indifferent national team good. Or they made a good national team great. Um so you know, so you know, and I think if they were that great they probably would have managed to um carry their team to a um uh international football tournament, you know, like whether it's the European or the Pan American, you know, the um you know, you'd have to you'd have qualified for something if your team if you were that good with your team. Um so you know, and had an impact internationally, you know, something, so I think, and in different teams, so I, yeah, I'm I'm clear about that, so, um, hence my, um, when, when this, this Ronaldo versus Messi debate, I favour Ronaldo because of the impact he's had on different teams in different countries and on his own national team, so, um, that's how I'd rate him, so George Best wouldn't get a look in because he didn't, you know, his greatness was with Man United and, um, and didn't, you didn't see any difference with Northern Ireland. Um, you know, so things like that. So um, so Beckham would be rated by, you know, it would be in there because of that. You know, not saying, you know. So I have a criteria. Then I also have a criteria for um, sports in terms of who is the greatest sports person um, by sport. You know, and I mean, in terms of um, do you give more points to the heavyweight champion of the world? than you give to the, or is it to the 100 metre sprinter? Or, you know, Olympic champion, or or the marathon champion, or is it the um, the weightlifter, or is it the, um, is it football because it's so popular? Is it, you know, um, so there are those things. Um, Bolt's retired now, you're saying Bolt, so I can't I can't use him. Um, and, you know, I'm overlooking obviously many sports, and I'm obviously a bit, I'm a big athletics fan, um, so I think that um, Cheyenne Fraser's done fantastic in terms of um, being a sprinter, uh, what she's done, and she's still running, and uh, what she's achieved, and you know the way the competition comes on, and new things come on in the life of a sprinter. So I think that she's done fantastically. So I think it's between her and Serena Williams, I would say, for in female. Uh, the men, I'm going to discount Hamilton because of the sport he's in, although I think he's done fantastically. Um, and I do like, um, I do like Ronaldo actually for it. I don't know, um, there's Frederick there, are um, you know, I've not looked at anybody like golfing, I've not looked at, um, so many sports. Hey, you know what, let me just cut it short, let me say that, um, I'll uh, I'll I'll give it to Federer now and I'll and I'll give it to um Serena and Shellyanne Shelly Fraser and Serena Williams for the um females at this time and ask me tomorrow and I'll change differently and I'll remember all the different sports I haven't even thought about um <laughs> in the last few minutes. So that's um something but you know me, I can I can talk about sports all day um, um, do you make do you make more money from live training set tri, live training events or online courses got people are getting personal today you want to know how much I make from my books um, I hope that's not you know people are gonna not be sending me begging letters now <laughs> because I said I made a little bit from books you know it's not that much um, do you make more more from live training events or online courses in the long term I would say it probably ends up being the online courses because um, wait well, one event or I mean the you have the one event where sometimes you have a packed event because events are twofold for me when I do the live training events um, which obviously has taken a knock in the last well this year you could say um, because I, do, I don't generally it's really around March I start kicking off my live events. You know, you, you sort of let the new year come in, January, sort of February, and it's either late February going on. So um, this year's had a real blow in terms of live events, and the live events are, are sort of twofold. Either it's um, people call me and they book me and say, "Come, you can you come and do some training on fundraising or one of your business startup courses or... Um, uh, even property, you know, they different things. People ask me to come and do a specific training session, whether it's a whole day event or just a, an afternoon there in their offices or um, an evening event. So people will will hire me to do that. That's straightforward. You 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 get paid, and you know, so it doesn't matter to you apart from the vibes. You know, whether it's one person or fifty people. Um, I I know sometimes I've told people you know maximum. In that venue 24 and you and you get there and about you know 40 50 people crammed in right um so, yeah should have charged them more eh but um because <clears throat> they've charged people so that's that's one thing that's um that's one way of of, of making it. and the other way with training events is that um i establish event i i announce the event i handle the um i handle the the bookings you know i um they book directly on the website or or through something like Eventbrite or Just Tickets, J-U-S-hyphen-tickets.com. Um, <clears throat> and I put it there, and then people book through that. And so, you know, I suffer because I'm paying for the venue. If it's not my own venue, I'm paying for the venue and, and everything, and refresh everything I'm paying for. So uh, if one person turns up, I lose. If, if you know, 20 people turn up, uh, it's much better. So those are the two types of events that I will do so this year definitely online courses have outshone live events because they've had to because um, a lot of that has dried up Um, and I've not really done many of of the paid you know like the zoom events most of the ones I've done I've done some because people have um, you know have, have asked me to come and do workshops so it's again it replaces one type of live event but in terms of my own where i've charged people to be a delegate i've not really done any of those um this year so the online stuff has definitely eclipsed uh, things and also people have been more uh, a lot more people have been looking at the online things as they had more time and so on and have been doing more courses so that's helped so um a lot more and i was going that way anyway i was putting on a lot of the online stuff anyway i was preparing videos which were directly for the online courses um as well specifically for them so i have broken things down so the online courses particularly um obviously the fundraising courses just uh, are something that um, sort of tick over but particularly the two the two business courses the um the first one is um, hit the ground running which is really the business startup course uh that hits about you know talks about the the business model and how to sell and you know how not to fail all these things that that's really um which is a very necessary course. I really you know, it's it's hard to but I do recommend the course. So Hit the Ground Running has as is done well and that's also all these courses are on business dot com. So Hit the Ground Running has done really well and then people often graduate to um let the money flow which is um it's a kind of growth and optimization. It's the it's people that are established in business but know they could be doing better. And that's called let the money flow. It's like, you know, so the thing is don't leave money on the table and these are the areas you need to strengthen and how do you do that, you know, and um and there are five um like tenets to that if you like. So um yeah so the business course so I was definitely this year um and with the COVID effect online courses are doing better, I've done better than the live events I would say. But um I really do like the live events. Even the online live events I do like the live events and you know and you know I'm, I'm good in the live events and um and you know we respond to a cry it really is like being you know on a show like performing so i do like the live events and i learn so much from them you know because the questions are live the feedback is live you can you know you, i i do like the live events but i have to say that yeah the online events are on top at the moment for that one so maybe there'll be a recovery um let's say not next you know maybe next year maybe not this year um da, 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 da what's the other one here? hmm why don't most people question their beliefs okay yeah they uh yeah, you're right, I know you're thinking, well, that's a kind of switch Yeah. <laughs> um why don't most people question their beliefs because people are uncomfortable and people are scared um and people, yeah, well, people are too comfortable and it makes them uncomfortable and people are squared, you know, what they believe if they, you know, the world would come crashing down if, um, anything is found out not to be true, you know, um, whether it's a sort of belief in the creator or no creator or whatever it is, whether it's, um, what we generally call religious belief or atheist belief or, um. Um. You know, whatever. Um. So there's that. The the people are scared to challenge their own beliefs because they built up so much around it, and we 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 build up a we build up a, a we all build up a kind of myth of ourselves, who we think we are and what we stand for and even how we think people see us. You know what we you know and um. So who wants to? It's uncomfortable to challenge that because you know it's um. You know it it can shatter people. Um in some senses that shattering can be good because it 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 um you rebuild up as something better. Um but it's not something that people want, is it? Who wants to um you know if you if you shatter your own ego and you become much more of a humble person um you know it's better for you in the long run but you know it's it can be difficult at the time. Uh, quite devastating. So um so people don't question you know there's a thing someone said you know there's this term people are using this thing about you know um people becoming woke, <laughs> you know waking people up, and people get obsessed with waking other people. It's not your job to wake other people up for one anyways it's we've gotta concentrate on our, on waking ourselves up. I know that we're all we're all sleeping to some degree, you know, and they're all there are ways that we can all be more woke. you understand there there are definitely things that we can all do and so we shouldn't be complacent and thinking you know we've reached um, you know that you know there shouldn't be a you know a month go by that we don't look back and say wow I was ignorant last month compared to this month you know every month should be like that for the rest of our lives should be like that right so there's always somewhere to go so we mustn't be complacent Um and so we have to concentrate on ourselves like that, you know, waking up ourselves. If you like, that's, that's, that's our, our task. Some people think it's all about waking up other people. And I get it that you want to share what we find. We all want to share what we find with other people. We see people are are ignorant of certain things and believe in things we think they shouldn't believe. And, um, and being coerced into things they shouldn't be. And so we want to wake them up as it were. We want to make them woke. And, um, that is well and good and some people can't you can't see why why can't people understand why are they not and as someone mentioned to me recently they said you know what there's one thing everybody who is asleep can be woken up everybody who who um, who is asleep can be woken up somewhere you know like physically you know it's some noise will wake them up or some degree of discomfort or water on their face or something or pain or something you know Everybody can be woken up, but there are certain people who can't be woken up because they're only pretending to sleep. You know, you cannot wake up someone who's pretending to sleep. So, if someone is blissful in their ignorance, there was an earlier question about this actually. Someone, if people are blissful in their ignorance, or they want to be, you know, they want to pretend they believe something, or you know, they and um, they're sort of. Covering up the truth, as it were, um, but they know. Um, then it's, um, of course, you can't wake them up. There's, then you're, 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 you're flogging a dead horse in that sense. So you can't wake up people who are pretending to sleep. Just think about it. So you have to bear all those things in mind. So, um, uh, what was the actual question again? <laughs> yeah, why don't people question their beliefs? So that's probably why people don't question their beliefs, because some of the time, um, you know, they're not actually sleeping. You could say. And, you know, let me get in this very, 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 very last question, because I said I'm going to get all of them. Oh, it says, what are some epic debates between religious people? Oh, gosh, that was a question. Should have dealt with that one earlier. What is it? Probably, you know, the existence or not of God, I suppose it's probably...